Have you ever felt like you're in the wrong place at the wrong time? Have you actually ever been in the wrong place at the wrong time? I know I have, and it feels weird. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. My most least favorite thing, I know that's terrible grammar, but it describes how I feel perfectly, so whatever, because I seem to have lots of least favorite things. Slow drivers, soggy cereal, not being able to locate what a certain smell is in my pantry, and then finding the gross potato, the feel of tearing cotton balls, the sound of nails on a chalkboard, somebody scooping in and getting my parking space right before I was going to get there, a knife sliding over one of our dinner plates. Anyway, I've labeled all of those my least favorite things before, to name just a few, but my most least favorite thing is when someone comes up to me and says, hey, do you know who I am? And I don't. I don't hate it because I look stupid, because I'm used to looking stupid. I hate it because it feels so wrong to not remember someone. It's like you don't care about them like you've never cared about them, or remembering them was just not ever worth your time. Or they've changed so much through the years that they are now completely unrecognizable to you. So when I hear that dreaded, do you know who I am? I always respond the same way and say, I might. Because I feel this way, as does my husband, I'd like to point out, whenever we see someone that we may have met once or knew a long time ago or barely knew at some point or whatever, we always give them way too much information surrounding ourselves until we either hear, oh, yeah, 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 I remember you, or their eyes just glaze over. Years ago, my husband and I found ourselves gifting a couple with a barrage of information. We were in the midst of what we call open house season. As I'm recording this, we're in the midst of it now, too. What happens in this neck of the woods is this. Students are graduating from high school, and parents or family members plan a party for them. They open up their homes, or they rent out a park shelter, or a church, or whatever for their parties. These parties are called graduation open houses. I know this isn't a phenomenon unique to Minnesota, but I also am aware that it isn't something that goes on everywhere. My husband, who's from Ohio, said this was not a part of his culture growing up. And so the first year we lived here, he was a little bit surprised by it. Anyway, students send out invitations to friends and teachers and relatives and teammates and neighbors and whoever. Families start cleaning up their homes and borrowing tables. They start planning menus for hundreds of people. The graduate gets a new outfit or wears their favorite shirt or whatever. They set out awards they've earned or pictures they've taken from when they were really little to the current day. You might be able to see a notebook that they've made or stories they've written in elementary school or whatever. They display all kinds of information from their past. They share what their future plans are going to be. They do all of it. On the day of the open house, the graduate greets guests as they arrive or else they travel about the home, greeting people as they sit. 
The people will be sitting and chatting with maybe two other people they happen to know there, and the graduate will come up and, and thank them for coming and spend a little time talking with them. These parties usually span about a three to four hour period of time. Being in youth ministry, we have students graduating every year. And each year, we try our best to get to everybody's open houses. Some of the graduates are members of our church, and we know them really well. Some are not. There have been some days when we've attended over a dozen open houses. We have to pace ourselves those days. As we drive up to the house, I'm, I always say something like, oh, we don't have time to eat here. Just grab a water or something. Well, I always say that. And Kenny always says, oh, no, there's enough time to eat something. Anyway. One year, I remember we were at one of our students' parties. He worked for Taco John's, and he had one of their portable taco stands set up at his house. We talked to his parents, and we talked to him for quite a while. We looked at his pictures. We talked to his little brother, who was still in our youth group. Oh, my goodness. Wait just a second. I'm going to get back to that story, but I'm also remembering another party that we went to, a friend of this kid's. The parents, as we walked up, told us about all the work they'd been doing on their house, that they had done stuff on the outside, noticed their landscaping and stuff. And then they said on the inside, they did this kitchen project and they had recarpeted their downstairs. And anyway, Kenny and I went downstairs with our food. And as we walked downstairs, we found this great big couch. We had our plate of food and we had a cup of punch in our hands, which was made in the school color. And the school colors where we were living was red. So there's red punch almost everywhere. Anyway, so we sat down, we had our plate of food, and we had our red punch in our hands. And I was looking for a place to set mine. So I set mine on a table on the right. And Kenny was looking for a place to put his. And it looked like he decided to toss his in the air. He probably didn't mean to, but it slipped. And he was going to catch it. And he batted it with his hand. And as it landed, it was going to go near his foot. And he wanted to jerk his foot away so it wouldn't land on his shoes. And it didn't really exactly land on his shoes. But as he jerked his its foot away, had this really negative effect. And he ended up punting it across the room and then sprayed red punch all over the new white carpet. That was so bad. The people were gracious enough. And I was like, okay, note to self, do not get new carpets until after all of our kids had their parties. Anyway, what was I talking? Oh, I was talking about the taco people. Okay. Anyway, back to the tacos. We had eaten our tacos, had talked with the, everybody there that we knew, and we were heading out. We actually weren't sure of where we were going next. We knew the kid's name, but we didn't think we'd ever met his parents. I forgot his invitation at home, too, so we didn't have his address. So I mentioned this to the Taco John's graduate guy when we were leaving, and he said, oh, his house, it's so easy to find. Do you know where the soccer fields are at? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, you go there, and it's like a street over, and it's a two-story house, and he has balloons on his mailbox. So I'm like, oh, easy enough. So we went on our way. Sure enough, found the soccer fields, saw the two-story house, one street over, balloons on the mailbox, just like this guy had said. We parked our car and we walked in. The graduate wasn't greeting people at the door. At least we didn't see him anywhere. But we saw a bunch of people congregated in the backyard, so we assumed, oh, I bet he's back there talking to people. But we did see his parents in the living room greeting people as they entered the house. Keep in mind my most least favorite thing, right? So as we went up to the couple, Kenny started. Hi, I'm Kenny King. I'm the youth pastor at the church. And he went on to describe what church and where it was located. And while he was talking, I was looking over the mom's shoulder to the piano, and I saw a large picture of a girl graduate. I started thinking, 
did this guy have a twin sister we never know about? That's weird. He never mentioned her and didn't even bring her to youth group. I wonder why not. Then I kept looking at the other pictures and was like, why don't they have any pictures of Peter? That doesn't seem right. Then all of a sudden it was like kind of jarred back to my senses and I heard Kenny continuing talking about the church and things. And then I had this weird feeling. So I spoke up in kind of fast, quick, declarative sentences because it's kind of a nervous reaction I have. I started with, you don't know us. Your graduate is a girl. We don't know her. I don't think we were even invited to this party. But just to be sure, I asked, this isn't Peter's open house, is it? They said, no. Oh, man. I asked, do you know him, though? Did he ever live here? No, they said they didn't know him. He hadn't lived there in the last 12 years, at least. Shoot. We asked to see their phone book. Obviously, this was a few years back, right? We found the correct name and address there. We returned the phone book. We apologized for the mix-up. The couple was super gracious. While they weren't looking, we took a cookie from the table and walked so fast back to our car, laughing the whole way. We got in our car, drove around the block, and found another identical-looking house with balloons on the mailbox exactly parallel to the one we had just visited. We walked in, and we were happily inundated with Peter pictures and Peter's people and Peter's presence, and then Peter himself. We hugged him way too hard and seemed way too excited to meet his mom and dad. Hi, we're Kenny Accursed. We love Peter. We know him. We love having him in youth group, and it's so nice to finally meet you. It was so much more relaxing being at the right party. What a relief to know the graduate and to be known by him. Have you ever wanted someone to really know you, the real you? There's a jump, right? <laughs> Not just your Myers-Briggs words or your disc profile letters or your Enneagram number with the correct wing attached to it, although that's super interesting and super fun to figure out, but know everything about you. Have you ever wanted someone to know who you are, how you think, how you feel, why you think and feel the way that you do? What brought you to the place that you are now? Maybe know what makes you truly happy and, and really sad and sort of sad and nervous or unsure, a little anxious and all those other intermediate emotions that pop up in a day. Here's the deal. I am not certain of tons of things, but there are two things that I know for sure. First, God knows you, the real you. There are a number of places in scripture where God tells us that we are known by him. This isn't a surprise because he made us, right? He knows our name. He's the good shepherd who knows his sheep. Shepherds back in the day of Jesus times knew their sheep by name. Sheep didn't see well, but they could hear. And so the shepherd would call out the name and the sheep would stop and they'd listen for the voice and they learned the voice of their shepherd as well. What else does it say in scripture? It says that the Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who take refuge in him. He knows how we were formed. He remembers that we are dust. He knows our limitations and he recognizes our frailty. God knows you. He sees you. He understands you. He doesn't just know you by name. He recognizes you and he recognizes your heart because he created you. John 1 says, all things were made by him, and apart from him, nothing has been made that has been made. So he has made all things. He has made you. He knows you. God knows you. The second thing I'm sure of is this, that God loves you deeply. Scripture is full of verses about God's love. He loved us before we loved him. We don't have to clean up our act first and then come to God. He loves us already. 
He loves us with an everlasting love. It doesn't have a beginning and it doesn't have an end. God's love never fails. Have you ever been disappointed in love? God's love never fails. It's a hundred percent trustworthy a hundred percent of the time. God's word tells us that he demonstrated his own love toward us. How? How did God demonstrate his love toward us? In scripture, it says that while we were still sinners, he died for us. What? Yep. He died for us. He showed his love. There is no greater love than someone could have than to lay down their life for a friend. And God laid down his life for us. God sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sin and offer us forgiveness. When we receive his gift, he lavishes his love on us and he calls us his children as we place our faith and, and trust in him through Jesus. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So whoever believes in him, they won't need to perish. And instead, they will experience everlasting life. How do we know this? Because Jesus conquered death. Jesus died on the cross for our sin, and then he proved that he was who he said he was by being raised to life and seen by hundreds of people. Wow. Okay. He loves us with an everlasting love. God knows us. He loves us. He desires to have a relationship with us so much so that he made it possible by offering us forgiveness of sin and the subsequent power we need to, to live a life with him. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Lewis recorded a conversation between Eustace, who was Lucy and Edmund's cousin, and Edmund. Eustace had just been saved by Aslan and was asking Edmund about him. He said, but who is Aslan? Do you know him? Edmund replied, well, he knows me. He is the great lion, the son of the emperor beyond the sea, who saved me and saved Narnia. It's interesting, isn't it? Notice Edmund doesn't say that he doesn't know Aslan. In fact, he tells Eustace things about him, right? He's a great lion. He's the son of the emperor. He has salvific powers that he exercised on him and on Narnia. But notice the emphasis in his reply was not on those bullet points. It was on the fact that Aslan knew him. God knows us. God loves us. God loves you. God invites us to enjoy eternal life with him, a life of fullness and blessing that actually can begin even now. It's not without struggle or trouble. It's not perfect. We know that as we read the Bible. We don't see anybody who ended up living a life without a struggle. And if anyone tells you that, that as a Christian, you won't experience trouble and difficulties, don't believe it because God's word does not show us that. Look at Peter. Look at Paul. Look at all the disciples. Look at Jesus. We are still going to have troubles. Jesus tells us that that's going to happen. But here's the deal. God offers us peace in the midst of our problems and hope in the midst of our hopelessness. He invites us to an abundant life. Abundant because it's abundantly blessed by him. You want to show up at the right place at the right time? You want to be known, really known? Come near to God and he will come near to you. He knows you completely and loves you still. I want to close by reading from Psalm 139. Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. Lord, you go before me and follow me. 
You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I can't hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand, and when I wake up, you're still with me. Oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Ah, oh, get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you, God. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yeah, I hate them with total hatred. For your enemies, they're my enemies. Ooh, but search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life.